There's a, there's a certain kind of marketplace mission that we dare not tell the pastors. You don't tell them. What kind of marketplace missions you don't tell them? You want to have $5,000 as your first job salary. You want to make a five-figure salary before you turn 30. You want to be the youngest P, youngest O when you turn 40. Uh, what is the P, what is the O? You want to be the youngest O in your entire organization, can be the CEO, can be a CFO, a CIO. Uh, you want deep in your heart, before you turn 30, you hope that you can be a, an EVP, a VP, or AVP. Before you turn 50, you want to have a few pots of gold. And after you achieve all these, then we think about marketplace ministry. Brothers and sisters, but this is not what the Bible says. The Bible challenges us wherever we go. And this is the reason why we gather this morning. We are here to be challenged this morning as we know that we are going to head out to our marketplace tomorrow, literally tomorrow. But when we go there back tomorrow, there is an enemy waiting for us. In fact, the enemy doesn't lie there tomorrow. The enemy lies at our gates the gates of QBC. So what am I talking about? There's an enemy out there. The enemy is not a real enemy, not a physical enemy, but a spiritual enemy. Not the devil, not the evil one, but a kind of thinking. A thinking what the systematic theologians will call it as sacred-secular dichotomy, sacred-secular divide. So many of, many of us we live such a life. Uh, why is sacred time? This is sacred time. We do sacred things here. Amen. True. But many of the times we divide our life. Once we cross the gates of QBC, that is me time. That is my time. That is the time in the world. And there is a divide in my life. And when that happens, brothers and sisters, we can never do marketplace ministry. We can never do. Let me give you a testimony. A few months ago, a church member came to me, uh, quite discouraged, and I asked her, what happened to you? And she said, you know what? I've been working for 10 over years, and finally, I have a Christian boss. I said, wow, that's good. And she was encouraged because day one, when the Christian boss came to office, and she's the department head, one of the department heads, and then the boss asked her, would you want to have lunch? Let's go head out for lunch. And it's good for me to understand the department matters. So she said, all right, let's do it. So head out for lunch. And then the boss asked her, are you a Christian? She said, I am. And how about you? I am too. And the boss said, would you like to say grace, give thanks together? She was very, very happy. And she said with me, 10 over years of a corporate life, never once a Christian boss, and never once someone offered to pray with her. And she happily accepted. But you know what? That was her highest point of her interaction with this Christian boss. And thereafter, it's all downwards. She had never seen such a person who is so political. She's never seen such a person that is so cruel, merciless. She's never seen such a person who is willing to destroy lives in order to achieve his objectives. 
He's willing to step over deep corpse to climb the corporate ladder. She needs such a person. And even her entire department folks, they are all struggling with it. Why do they do that? Because whenever they have department meals, the boss will pray long prayer, privately, personally. And the entire table is just waiting for the big boss to finish his long, long prayers. I'm not telling you a fairy story, fairy tale. I'm telling you a real story. So there is a struggle in the non-believer's heart. How can such a person be a Christian? You mean Christians are like that? Christians are worse than my life. I will never be a Christian. Why is it so, brothers and sisters? There is a divide in this person's life. The divide goes this way. When I am having my meals, before I have my meals, that is my time with God. There is sacred time. The food is sacred. But after I pray, and the rest is all secular. Let us use secular methods. Let us use secular strategies, secular tactics to achieve our marketplace objectives. Brothers and sisters, if this is your life and this is my life, we are not going to edify anyone. We are going to stumble people. Many, many. So therefore, we come today and we look at this passage. This passage has a context. The context is actually a scolding match. So you look at this passage and they realize who is scolding who. Initially, it was Peter scolding Jesus, our Lord Jesus. And then our Lord Jesus scolded Peter. And why did Peter scold Jesus? Because uh, Peter heard Jesus saying some things. Hear what Jesus says. So our Lord Jesus began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And three days he'll be raised after he was killed. And Peter was repulsive towards such an idea. And the Bible told us, which is correctly translated as rebuked, scolded. So think about what Peter was, how Peter would scold our Lord Jesus. Are you crazy, Jesus? You must be mad. You are the Messiah. You are the Christos. You are the anointed king. You ought to be respected. You ought to be served. What are you talking about? You're going to Jerusalem, you're going to be killed, going to be raised. No, Jesus, that is not your life. Your life is supposed to be there, not here. And Jesus rebuked him. Peter rebuked him. And later we realized that Jesus rebuked Peter and even claimed Peter to be Satan, the evil one. So, brothers and sisters, why is, so, why is Peter so repulsive towards this idea? Because this idea is the idea of denying our Lord Jesus himself. This idea is a denying, not only denying his life, also bearing a heavy cross in his life. And this idea of following him all the way to Calvary. Hardship, hardship, hardship. Pain, pain, pain. And this is what we call as following Christ. Following Christ is not uh, switching the playing with the remote control on your sofa, on your couch. Following Christ is real tough. And that's the reason why this morning we gather together, we think about a very painful thing. We think about a painful picture. The picture of following our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at the original Greek text, the Greek text is written in a very unique way. Uh, so the, the words in black, uh, you will realize the same Greek word appears four times. 
verse 35, 36, 37, 38. So whichever version that you use, sometimes you have that word translated, sometimes you don't have that word translated. But the word in, in Greek is called gar. And you realize that it's so clear, it's so obvious in the Greek text. It says gar, 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 gar. Then you ask, what is Jesus talking about? Why does our Lord Jesus gar, 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 gar? Because our Lord Jesus is impacting Peter, telling his disciples, because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this, therefore you and I, we do marketplace ministry. Therefore you and I, we do ministry at home. We do ministry in the university. We do in ministry in our private life. Therefore in our lives, there is no divide because of these reasons. And why does our Lord Jesus give us so many reasons? The reason is following Him is painful, difficult. I just shared upstairs with the Chinese congregants. My son is having his O-level now in less than two months' time. So to him, O-levels is horrendous. O-level is painful. And many a times he came to my room, laments to my wife and myself, life is meaningless. Life is empty. What's the meaning of living life facing O levels? Uh, I'm not kidding. This is a 16-year-old boy. So every time we had to sit him down, we didn't scold him. But guess what did we do? Guess. Gar, 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 gar. Because one day you get a good job, you get uh, easier for you to get married. <laughs> uh, one day your daddy and mommy will die and you can... Uh, survive on your own. Ga, 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 ga. And you survive until today. A uh, lot willing, two more months. Uh, two more months. But sisters, this is essentially what Jesus is telling us. Uh, doing life is very difficult. Uh, doing life without a cross, doing life without self denial, uh, doing life without following Jesus Christ is very easy. No need, ga, 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 ga. No need. But you want to do life by following Christ, then the Lord knows that we need reasons. We need reasons. We need to know the gains of following Him. Tell me, Lord Jesus, what are the gains? What are the reasons? Why should I even represent you in my home? Why should I represent you in the marketplace tomorrow? Why should I? Tell me. Tell me the reasons. Then our Lord gave us four good reasons. Four good reasons. And these four good reasons, you can break them down into three lines of thoughts. Three lines of thoughts. The first line of thought is a logical line of thought. It goes this way. Our Lord Jesus says that for whoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So this is a logical reasoning. So what is the logic our Lord Jesus is trying to tell us? He's telling us that the Lord owns life. Only inside God, only within God, we can find meaningfulness. We can find fulfillment. We can find real life only in Him. If I try to do that on my, by my own mind, by my own ability, I cannot. I will lose it. So let me use an analogy to try it out. So I, I have an iPhone. Many of us have iPhone here. I'm not an engineer by training. Both of us, we are accountants by training. So accountants don't meddle with electronics. But one day you think about it, my iPhone fails me. I know that I'm going to lose my iPhone's life. And then I start to take my screwdriver, uh, my equipment, and start to pry open my iPhone. 
guess what will happen to my iPhone? Will I lose my iPhone's life or I will save my iPhone's life? I will lose my iPhone's life. But if I bring my iPhone and I surrender, I lose my iPhone to Apple's technicians for three days. Can I take back my iPhone? I gain back my iPhone's life. This is essentially the logic that our Lord Jesus is telling us. Dear young men, dear middle-aged people, dear aged people, we do have life. We do have good life, fulfilling life, meaningful life, but we can never find in ourselves. We find in Him. So you want to enjoy that kind of blessedness? Then come to Jesus and say, Oh Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you because I believe that only in you I can get that kind of meaningfulness, that kind of fulfillment in life. I mean, as pastors, as people in church for a long time, we've seen good lives, very, very good lives, very, very meaningful lives. Let me give you an example. I have this brother in my church. He's doing a very good marketplace ministry. He's not a CEO. He's not a VP. He's just a technical manager. He runs a factory maintenance department. And how do I know? Because I know his entire technical team. His technicians are all from China, came to Singapore, and they always come to my church. Then some of you, I know we are skeptics. I'm a skeptic as well. Then you might think, oh, they have no choice because he's the boss and they are the employees, therefore no choice. Initially, I thought, I thought so. But guess what? He has been doing this for a good 20 years. 20 years. And many of them, they went back to China. And I'm still in contact with them because they became my congregants, my church members. So when back in China, I asked them, how are you, where are you now, how can I pray for you? You know what? These are folks who have nothing to do with this brother anymore. But these are folks who always come back to me and say, Pastor Han, you know what? This person is the best Christian I've ever seen in my life. He has never vented his anger at us. He was always patient with us. Even we reject him from coming to church. He never bear personal grudges with us. He's always very caring and very nice and very polite to us. And you might say that that is only his marketplace ministry, but I tell you, we're wrong. If you ever walk into his family, uh, they are the most loving couple in my church. If you look at his relationship with his children, they are very tight. Brothers and sisters, this is a very blessed life. Think about one day if he's called home to glory. And I can imagine the eulogies that will be preached, that will be shared in a homegoing service. Amazing. And this is what we are aiming for. And our Lord Jesus is telling you the logic. You want to enjoy a fulfilling, meaningful, satisfying life? Don't find it in yourself. You cannot repair your own iPhone. Find it in Him. Then you move on to the second line of thinking. He knows that one reason, one God cannot make my son strive for his O level. One reason cannot make you bury his cross. Then we move on to the second line of reasoning. The first line of reasoning is what we call a logical line of reasoning. The second line of reasoning what we call a commercial line of reasoning. So you look at the second and third reason, then you realize that our Lord Jesus is talking business terms. Really? I hear his second reason. Uh, what will profit a man? What kind of profits can you gain? 
How much money can you gain if you trade your soul with the world? Is this a good deal? Is this a reasonable transaction? The answer is not. Not. The commercial reason is don't do that. Don't ever do that. It is plain silly to trade your soul for the world. Because your soul is eternal and this world is temporal. Because your soul is spiritual and this world is physical. The physical can never satisfy the spiritual. Uh, the temporal cannot satisfy the eternal. Don't be silly. Don't be silly. It's not a good deal. 20, 2014, I was in US. I brought my family of six. We have four kids. My oldest is 20, but then she was only eight years old. So my youngest was around two years old. So when we crossed over, uh, we were bent. Uh, we were bent on coming back to Singapore. So Pastor Isaac was there for 10 years. And I tell myself, I'm not going to be like Chai Sing. I want to head back to Asia. Why is it so? Because he went to US when he was very young. I went to US when I was very old, 40 years old. So I joke with my seminarian's friends. I mean, we all have shelf life, right? Products, shelf life. So when I graduate, you look at the product on the shelf, you turn around the expiry date. Uh, so I better run back to Asia and surf. Uh, I have no shelf life to spend in America. But I'm a followable man. I'm a weak man. I know my failings. So what do I do? So I, I intentionally make my days, my days in U.S. a temporal stay. How do I do that? We start with interior design. So we rent a townhouse. There's nothing in there, no furniture. So it's empty. So you go and buy furniture. I shared with my wife, I told her, are we going to have this foldable interior concept? And she was puzzled. What do you mean by foldable interior concept? She never heard this kind of minimalistic, yes. Balinese, I know. Uh, luxurious, I know. But why is foldable interior concept? I said, I told her, let me show you. We went to Costco. We bought foldable dining table. We bought foldable benches. I bought foldable study table. I bought foldable study chairs. I found foldable beds. Yeah. And she asked me why. I said, this is the best deal that we can do. Because our stay in the US is only three years. After three years, we're going to sell everything. There is no value at all. And we're going to move back to Asia. So think about it. If I invest all my savings on buying the nicest American furniture, renting the biggest townhouse, the biggest bungalow in town, I use up all my cash and I have nothing to go back to Singapore. And then Pastor Leonard will tell me, you are plain silly. That is not a good deal. And that is what Jesus is telling us. Dear brothers and sisters, if you pursue a marketplace for your own and not consider him, then... Our Lord Jesus said, that is not a good deal. You are sinning. You are doing a very poor investment. The profits that you gain from this deal is nothing. It's nothing. Because you live a life that has nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with God. Then our Lord moves on to the third reason, which is still a commercial reason. Here what our Lord says. He says, what can a man give in return for the soul? How much does your soul worth? Brothers and sisters, how much does your soul worth? How much does your life worth? This is what he's trying to tell us. If you live a life for God, your life will be very fulfilling. 
your life will be very satisfying. Your life will be very blessed. And our Lord says, not only so, if you live a life for God, your life will be very valuable. Very, very valuable. Because he knows the value of our soul. So let me share with you on this gentleman. So he's very famous in India. So you hear about this India corporation called Tata Sons, one of the biggest in India, Tata Sons. He used to be the chairman. His name is Cyrus Mistress. So in 2022, September, he faced a car wreck. And this is his assets. This is his net worth. This is how much value he has built for himself. So too many zeros, Pastor Han, I do not know. It's too complicated. So let's, let's simplify. Let's try to simplify these numbers. Later, when you walk out of the gates of QBC, so from 180 degrees to 100, to, from the left to the right, and everything that you see, HDB condominiums in Queenstown, this amount you can buy every single unit down and they're still spare. And that's how much he has. But brothers and sisters, if you get to interview him September 2022, after the car crash, are you willing to trade $29 billion, $40 billion for your soul, for your life? Guess what's the answer? You will say a resounding yes. Definitely I will. Because he knows. The sad thing, the ironical thing about life is we know the value of life when we lose it. We don't know the value of life when we still have it. But our Lord Jesus loves us. Our Lord Jesus is telling you and I that dear sons, dear daughters, don't, don't do this bad deal. Don't trade the world with your soul. Do you know how precious is your soul? If our soul is those so precious, then use this precious soul to do precious things for the precious Lord. What can I do for Him? I do ministry in my life. I do ministry in my marketplace. I do ministry in my home place. I do ministry in my school place. I testify for Him in all walks of my life. In my life, there is no divide. In, life, in my life, there is no sacred and secular. In my life, all secular is sacred. In my life, all sacred is secular. There is no divide. Why do I do that? Because gar, 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 gar. Because he tells you this is the most fulfilling way to live life. Because he tells you this is the most valuable way to live life. And then our Lord knows we need the third line of reasoning. The third line of reasoning goes in verse 38. Allow me to read. Verse 38, it says, Whosoever is ashamed of me, of my words, in this adulterous, sinful generation, I will also be ashamed of him. He's giving us a theological reasoning. Brothers and sisters, tomorrow starts, you can be in your school. Later, you can be in your home. You can be in your marketplace. And if you are ashamed of him and also of his words, you know what? There's a theological consequence. The theological consequence is he comes for us. He will be ashamed of us. He will be ashamed of us. And that's the reason why our Lord Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. It's painful to him. Think about gatherings with your friends. 
and you never dare to bring your spouse along because you're ashamed of your spouse. Think about that. And are we doing that kind of life in our, in our, in our marketplace? We should not. And this is the reason why he tells us these gains. And after these gains, we move on to the pain of following Christ. Following Christ is very, very painful. Extremely painful. Following Christ pertains pain, pain, pain. And if you look at this text, and this text has just one simple verse. And this verse uh, goes this way. If anyone will come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's not so clear-cut in the Chinese text, in the English text, but it is very clear-cut in the Greek text. In the Greek text, you can see the imperative mood. When you study Greek, there are moods in verbs. In the Greek text, our Lord Jesus used three imperatives in one verse. Imperative one, deny yourself. Imperative two, take up. Imperative 3, follow. And if you study the imperatives, you realize it's painful, more pain, and most pain. Uh, why is it so? Let us try. So what is denying ourselves? Denying ourselves is not to go back to the monastic life, a secular ourselves in a silo, in a cave, and let us be a monk or a nun. No, uh, that's not denying ourselves. Uh, denying ourselves is not denying ourselves our favorite food, uh, don't deny ourselves of our favorite pastime. That's not denying ourselves. Denying ourselves is not so existential. Denying ourselves is not so external. Denying ourselves is actually very internal. So the meaning of denying ourselves is we have to remove ourselves from the object of affection in the center of our life. In the center of our life, we love someone. The modern answer in church is God. But the existential answer in your life and my life is unfortunately many a times not God, but us. And Jesus knows. That is why Jesus said, you have to start removing yourself, plucking yourself out from the center of your life, the center of your affections, and replace yourself with our Lord Jesus. Ouch. Painful. Brothers and sisters, think about your last trip overseas. Who do you buy the most things for? Many a times ourselves. Buy the most things for ourselves. Many a times. So this is what we are geared to. And this is us, fallen beings. We are very used to loving ourselves. Because of this, it's very difficult uh, to do marketplace ministry. Think about going to marketplace tomorrow. Think about going to office tomorrow. You have a terrible boss. You have terrible colleagues. You have terrible corporate culture. And if you only think about yourself, yourself as a center of your affections, and then you'll be unkind to them. You'll be angry to them. You'll be upset with them because they are unkind towards you. They are unloving towards you. You cannot think about God because the center of your life has never been God. The center of life has been ourselves. I used to run a very, very stressful life uh, doing international business. So I do that for five, six years. I travel like 300 days a year. So one year, maybe I go about 50, 50 cities, about 25 cities. So every Sunday night, my wife knows. Come Sunday night, I cannot sleep. 
Why is it so? Every Monday night, I have CEO meeting with my CFO. CEO, CFO, and you ask me, Han, how's the Asia's business? Actuals versus budget. How's the Middle East business? Actuals versus budget. How's the European business? Asia, uh, actuals versus budget. How's the North America business? Actuals versus budget. Very stressful. Every Monday morning, the secretary fixed my schedule. Whole morning we talk about business. And think about it, you know, it makes me real stressed. So when I'm stressed, if I am the center of my affection, guess what, I, what will I do? I'll be angry with my children on Sunday nights. You better be quiet. Your daddy is having a hard time. Everybody shut up. Give me space. Give me time. Leave me alone. I can be angry with my wife. And think about it, my department. I can be angry with my colleagues. Why are you guys not delivering the numbers? Are you guys slacking? Are you guys skyping somewhere? Give me the numbers. I don't care. By who? By crook? I want the numbers. I can do that. But brothers and sisters, we deny ourselves. I tell the Lord, Lord, this is a cross that I have to bear. But please help me, O oh Lord. Please help me not to be angry. I need your help to quench the upsets in my life. Please give me the determination, the endurance to continue to display you in my workplace. Please help me to trust that all my people have done their best. And even the numbers do not look good. I come to my CEO and tell CEO, CEO, this is really my best and these are the best numbers we can provide to you. We will continue trying. We want to display you in my workplace. But this is tough. But start from step one. Do the first painful thing. We are starting to do a heart surgery. Remove the heart for yourself and replace a heart for God. That's pain level one. And move on to pain level two. The second imperative, take up cross. And these days, we think about taking up a cross can be a pair of earrings, 20 grams. Uh, can be a necklace, 10 grams. But brother says, this is not what the Bible says. A cross is 100 kilograms for guys. 70, 80 kilograms for girls. So there is a cross a lot has played, placed in your environment, there is a cross. The cross can be your spouse. Uh, so sad. Uh, some singles here say, oh no, cannot be. Married life must be romantic, uh, rosy, happily ever after. I talk to the married people and say, oh yeah, I am the cross of my wife. I sanctify her and the Lord knows, she knows it as well. So there is a cross in our family life. Comes one day you have kids and I have four kids, I have four crosses. And come tomorrow, you walk into your marketplaces, you realize that you have a very heavy cross as well. Difficult boss, difficult colleagues, a difficult company culture, difficult targets, unreasonable things happening. Those are very heavy. See that? Our Lord Jesus says, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you to do the second level, to take up more painful things. And that's the reason why he tells us the reason. Because so painful. So painful that we need help. We need help to reckon that, Lord, I'm going to see the cross from another perspective. The, the cross is good news to us Christians. 
The cross is heavy for our Lord Christ. But it's good news to us. There's a positive aspect of the cross that the Lord wants you and I to look at. The cross is going to improve you. The cross is going to show Christ in our workplace because nobody will bear crosses in their workplaces except for Christians. Except for Christians. And therefore, we do that. Then think about young people these days. People like, young people like to go gym. So my young people in my church, I'm gym, gym, gym. So why is gym? Gym goes this way. I do my 20 reps, 30 reps, 50 reps, and three cycles, five cycles, and drop my dumbbells, and let's call it a day. I pick, up, I pick them up three days later. You look at what Jesus say. Jesus never tell you to put down. Jesus say, take up and walk up the hill. Go up Calvary with me. Follow me to Jerusalem, which is an upward journey, and follow me all the way to Calvary. The Lord Jesus is telling us, this is marketplace ministry. This is your life and my life. This is life at home. This is life in school. This is life in your marketplace. Uh, this is a painful journey. But we are so thankful that we not only have to endure the journey ourselves, and the Lord never tells us this way. The Lord says, we will go through this journey, but by His strength, by His might, by His grace, He's going to enable us. Enable us. So allow me to use an acronym to, end, to close my sermon. The acronym is LOVE. L-O-V-E. Brothers and sisters, if we walk into our family without loving God, we really cannot love the people in your family. If you walk into a workplace tomorrow without loving God, you really cannot love these unlovable people in your workplace. You do not love God, you cannot walk into your university as well. So use acronym LOVE, L-O-V-E. There are four things that we have to do tomorrow or later. Thing number one, thing number one, lower yourself. Lower yourself. Allow me to use a testimony. I have a sister in my church, and this sister is again not another high flyer. Come to Chinese-speaking congregations, we have a lot of blue-collar, average, middle-income and lower. And that's our ministry. But I'm very happy to be with them. And I know this bookkeeper sister. Uh, she's not very learned, but she's very faithful with her work. But she's doing a wonderful marketplace ministry. Wonderful. She loves talking to people who are different. Like who? The toilet cleaner. The office cleaner. I know there are some high and mighty people here. When's the last time you greet your office cleaner? You say thank you. You ask them, how are you doing? How's your life? We don't. They are supposed to serve me. Recently, I helped a brother to find uh, an office job, office cleaner job. And I realized people are terrible. Uh, why, do I, why do I say so? I went to the interview with him, with the supervisor. And we went for training. So after the training, I told the brother, brother, I think when I reach 65 years old, I can be a, an office cleaner as well. Uh, so the training is pretty good for me as well. Uh, then the training involves going to corners of the building and then the supervisor show us, you see this piece of tissue paper there? Nobody goes there. 
But every day, there will be a piece of tissue paper there. And we pass it, we are like rookies. I said, why is it so? Because someone in this building is testing our cleaners. They're supposed to serve us. How do we make sure that these guys are working? Very easy. Every day, I go to that corner, I throw a piece of tissue there. And at the end of the day, if the tissue is still there, it means that these uncles and aunties are not working. So think about it. If this is a Christian, this Christian is not living a fulfilling life. This Christian is living a very dishonorable life. This Christian is living a pathetic life. Not no marketplace ministry at all. But back to this sister. She cares for people who are so different. So one day, the office worker came to work as usual. And she was quite sad. So the office worker uh, was looking sad. She was still doing her things. And the sister asked her, as usual, cares for her. And asked her, why are you so sad? She knows that she's a Christian. And the sister, the office worker, told my church member, I'm, so, I'm supposed to take this amount of money, this packet of money to my church, to a particular sister, and give the money to her. So my church member asked, oh, did you owe her money? Are you repaying your debt? No. And that's my offering to the Lord. But why to the sister? Then the office cleaner replied, because the sister says, my husband is wheelchair. My husband, my husband bumped with an accident two years ago. He has disability walking. He couldn't walk a few steps. He was on the wheelchair for two years. And this particular sister told the church, uh, the office cleaner, that your husband is this way because he is cursed by the Lord. And the office cleaner said, how is he cursed? Why is he cursed by the Lord? And the church member from her church says, because you never give your true, true 100% of your tenth, of your tithes to the Lord. So I gave, I really gave my salary. Not enough. Have you counted the value of your sofa sets? Have you counted the pots and the pans, the cups, the cutleries? Have you counted the value of your clothings? You have not. Those ought to give the tenth. So she really prepared the tenth. And that day she was sad. So my church member told her, can we not go there first? Would you mind? Would you mind come talk to my pastor? So she see, she lowered herself and in the midst of doing so, she omits herself. Uh, think about her, she's really angry. She's not only angry with the church member of this office cleaner, she's also off angry with this office cleaner. Why are you so gullible? Why are you so silly? Nobody believes in such a thing. But she prayed to God and said, Lord, you help me. She's not learned. She's very naive. She's very innocent. She's simple in the faith, like, like a child. There's nothing to do with her. There's a conscience in her, and this conscience has been yoked. There's a burden within her. So she prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, help me do the second thing, omit my anger. And then do the third thing, volunteer myself. So she called me and said, Pastor Han, can I come to your home? And during then, we are working from home. I said, yeah, why not? But what for? 
I need to bring my office cleaner to your home and I need to tell you, tell her as a pastor that this is all wrong. So indeed, that afternoon they came. They came to my house and then they shared the entire story with me. I guess, did she give or did she not give? She gave. I'm a stranger pastor. We are not her church members. So she gave. She has to pray even more, omit my anger. I'm very angry. I brought you to my pastor and yet you don't listen to my pastor and yet you still give. But you know something amazing happened? Amazing thing happened is she continued to volunteer herself. She continued to pursue this office cleaner sister and ask her, what truly happened to your husband? She said, my husband bumped in an accident two years ago. He's now wheelchair bound. He can walk for a few steps, but that's all. He has no faith to go through any surgery, even though the operation cost is free of charge from a particular hospital in Singapore. Two operations, one kneecap operation and one back operation, 100% free, given by the hospital because they are truly, truly lowest income in Singapore. So if you are my church member, what will you do? I will pray for your husband. But she did not. She volunteered herself. Can I volunteer my pastor to go visit your husband? She said, yes. Uh, most one, most one, welcome. So she called me, we went down. Husband was a very hard man. Uh, wife was a Christian for umpteen years and never wanted to receive anyone from the church. But this time around, the husband was there waiting for us in the living room. So we went there, we greeted him, we cared for him, shared the gospel, and praised the Lord. He was saved that day. How do I know he was truly saved? His life changed. When I saw him that day, he was very downcast. His life is totally hopeless. He's just telling himself, this is my life going forward on a wheelchair period. But when he was saved, two things happened. First, joy came. His face brightened up. And second, faith came. He asked, Pastor, what shall I do? I said, the Lord loves you so much. I have never heard anyone receiving free operations. Not cheap operations, but a kneecap operation and a back neurosurgery, free of charge. I never heard someone like this. You know the Lord is so good to you. The reason why you reject the hospital's invitation is because you have no fear. You have no faith. You have much fear in your heart. But now our Lord Jesus is into your life. Therefore, brother, place our faith in Him. Let us not fear. Let us rest in Him. I will accompany you. We go see hospital. We're going to see a doctor. We talk to the surgeons. We go for the operations. And that's about a year ago. So this brother today is walking, they stay at Simei, comes to my church at Woodlands. I walked, trained, uh, I helped him find a job a month ago uh, as a, com- as a com- community um, outdoor cleaner. So he's working now. His life changed. But where did he start from? He didn't start from me. He started from a very humble marketplace ministry. A bookkeeper, lowering herself, omitting herself, 
volunteering herself, exemplifying Christ in her life. Is it difficult? Is it painful? Yes, very difficult, very painful. But brothers and sisters, this life is very fulfilling. This sister's life is very valuable. And this sister's life is most glorious. She can do it, and likewise, we do so. Let us pray.